Well, thank you so much um, for letting me join you um, today. It's great to be with you again. Uh, for those of you who've been kind of part of the whole weekend's program and engaging with that, thank you for your time. Thank you for your engagement. Thank you for your, your questions during the, the, the question and answer time. Uh, for those of you who weren't part of the, the sort of weekend program, um, my name is Sam Albury. I'm a, an apologist. I'm a pastor. And it is a privilege to join you for your Sunday worship today. Um, our text this morning, if you're able to get a hold of this and have it open in front of you, that would be great, is Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Um, the theme of the, the weekend, we've been looking at different aspects of human sexuality and how we engage with that as Christians, what we do as, as, a, as a church community to be people of, of blessing. And so when you hear Romans 1, you may be thinking of the part of Romans 1 that speaks directly about homosexuality. That would be an obvious place for us to go but I actually want to think through the first half of Romans 1 it's a, a passage I keep coming back to myself it's one that I find I'm always strengthened by so I'm going to read to us um, from God's word Romans 1 uh, beginning at verse 1 Paul a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is God's word to us. Um, I was listening to one of my favourite podcasts recently. It's a secular podcast, often dealing with issues of of the day, issues of culture. And one of the things I love about this podcast is they are so committed to making sure both sides of any argument get a fair hearing. 
So if they're talking about some kind of political issue, they will always have someone from a more kind of conservative perspective and someone from a more liberal perspective. They're sort of committed to that kind of fairness. And it, it makes the, the podcast quite refreshing to listen to. It doesn't feel quite as partisan and polarised as, as so much does. That is until we listened, uh, until I listened to an episode where they were talking about gay marriage. And they even made a point of saying in the podcast, you know, normally we, we're committed to making sure that every side on, on, a, on an, an issue is, is heard. Uh, we want reasonable people of, of, of both sides to have a chance to make their case. But they said, but when it comes to gay marriage, there is no reasonable other side. Um, people who aren't supportive of gay marriage, there is no good reason for their position. And therefore, we actually feel morally obligated not to have someone from a more conservative viewpoint kind of come and share on this particular issue. And it was very revealing to me that actually these guys who are pretty mild-mannered, pretty moderate in how they discuss things, pretty fair-minded, to them... There is just simply no airtime that deserves to be given to anyone who, for example, from a Christian viewpoint, might have hesitations about something like gay marriage. And it seemed to sum up and crystallise to me kind of, you know, where we are at often in the Western world, that there are certain things that are now just off the table. You're just not allowed to share, um, even if you, you have good reasons, even if you're seeking to be gracious and winsome in the way that you articulate yourselves, there are certain viewpoints that are just now off limits. And within such a cultural context, it is very easy, therefore, to feel intimidated, uh, maybe just to feel angry, maybe to feel resentful or bitter, uh, maybe to feel even despairing about the way things are going and, and what what is going to happen to the cause of the gospel if this is the context in which we find ourselves? And I mention all that because this passage from Romans is exactly what we need to hear, if that is the way we're tempted to feel in our own cultural context at the moment. Um, as we will see, there is a need for spiritual strengthening in the Roman Christians, just as there is for us as we feel intimidated by the cultural forces around us. And as Paul kind of opens this letter, he gives us the things we need to have gospel confidence. So we're going to look at the passage in, in three parts, verses one um, through seven. We're going to think about gospel understanding, um, the content of the gospel. Uh, then in verses eight through 15, uh, we're going to think about gospel strength. And then verses 16 and 17, we're going to think about gospel confidence. So verses 1 to 5, uh, to begin them, Paul gives us gospel understanding. In other words, what Paul is doing is, is very interesting. Paul, as is the convention, you know, opens the letter by saying who he is. Um, makes more sense than our convention, where you, if you do write a letter, you don't say who you are to the very end, which is kind of weird because... The first thing you do if you ever get a physical letter is you have to look at the back of it to see who it's from. So it makes sense. Let's start the letter by saying, hey, this is Paul, Apostle Paul, writing to you. He then addresses them to those of you who are in Rome. But Paul does something unusual in the letter to the Romans that he doesn't really do in his other letters. Uh, Paul will normally say something 
about who he is and, and the character of his ministry. But in this letter, he, he kind of introduces himself and then gives us this, this mini exposition about the gospel. Um, Paul, we know, hadn't been to Rome at this point. He, he didn't know the Roman believers. He knew things about them. He'd heard about them. He makes that very clear. But it's as if Paul wants to really set out his stall and make sure they know exactly what the gospel is, Paul's relationship to that gospel, just to make sure there's no misunderstandings. And what he says about the gospel are, are all things that we so need to hear as well. So Paul begins by saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be a, an apostle, set apart for the gospel of good of, of God. So far, normal stuff. Then he begins to unpack things about this gospel of God that we need to know. And the first thing to notice is that it is the gospel of God. Um, this is not Paul's gospel. Uh, this is not Paul's take on spiritual reality and truth. Paul was a, was a very able scholar. We know that he was a bit of a, a hotshot when it came to his own Jewish studies. But, but the gospel that he writes and proclaims is not the product of his own mind. This is not Paul's spin on the gospel. The message has come from God himself. Now, that means at least two things. It means, firstly, we, we can't change the gospel. If it's God's gospel, we, we do not have liberty to adjust the message depending on where we happen to find ourselves. Uh, we can't pick and choose from, from what God says, what we like and what we don't like. Um, but it also means that actually if, if the message is from God himself, ultimately it's not our responsibility how people respond to it. Um, sometimes there'll be things in the gospel that are in some contexts, perhaps very deeply offensive. And, you know, we, someone may suddenly explode with anger about something to do with the Christian gospel. And we have to keep kind of saying to ourselves, listen, this is it's not my gospel. Your, your issue is not with me. It's, it's with God. There's actually a kind of liberation in that. So the message is from God himself. Um, God has revealed that message to the Apostle Paul and to the other apostles. Paul's job now is to expound it and pass it on authoritatively as an apostle, but making sure we know the gospel has come from God. So the gospel is from God and, and therefore it's not new. He says in verse 2, the gospel which God promised beforehand. So it can't be Paul's gospel because this is stuff God has been saying for generations um, God had promised it beforehand in the in the Old Testament scriptures. And so this gospel actually is part of a, a bigger saga, a bigger narrative that goes way, way, way back so many generations. Next thing we need to know, the gospel is from God and the gospel is about Jesus. So the gospel of God, verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. The gospel is concerning Jesus Christ, the eternal son of the eternal father. Even what was promised beforehand in the Old Testament scriptures was concerning the son. Paul is very clear that the whole Bible is about Jesus. It's not about church life. 
It's not about what we Christians do. It's not about having some kind of faith. It is about Jesus. Now, I find this, again, very kind of clarifying. Actually, I find it very challenging um, because it tells me if I'm not talking to someone about Jesus, I'm not sharing the gospel with them. And I don't know what it's like um, where you are in, in Alaska, but I know where I am. Um, I'm from England, often spending time in the States as well. Actually, people are quite happy to talk about the church but they're not as comfortable when the conversation is actually about Jesus. So I've had conversations with, with friends or maybe even relatives where they've said, hey, what does, what does the church think about this or that? And it kind of feels relatively safe. And you can say, well, you know, some Christians might say this or some Christians might say that. And you can kind of think, yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm having a kind of spiritual conversation. Paul would say, great, but you're not doing evangelism yet. This isn't the gospel. Um, if you're not talking about Jesus, you're not sharing the gospel. And it's just a reminder as well, sometimes as Christians, we can be very kind of, you know, verbal about our, our view on politics, our view on certain other things. If, if we're about those things, we're not about the gospel. We're only about the gospel if we are about Jesus. Um, Jesus is the one through whom God has promised to put the broken world back together. And Paul says that the way we know this is that Jesus himself rose from the dead. So the, concerning the son, verse 3, who was descended from David according to the flesh, he was a real human being from the line of David and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. His physical bodily resurrection from the dead is the declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So the, the source of the gospel is God. The subject of the gospel is Jesus. The scope of the gospel is universal. Um, verse 5, Paul says that through Jesus we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Uh, some translations have it as among all the Gentiles. Gentiles simply means nations. In other words, the message of Jesus Christ and what God has promised to do through Jesus Christ is a message God intends for every person from every race and nation. So God doesn't have a world map that is split up between, well, this part is the Christian part of the world, and then over there is, is a sort of the Buddhist part of the world, and over here is the Muslim part of the world. As far as God is concerned, all of the world is under the authority and eventual lordship of Jesus Christ. And so all of the world is to be the intended scope of gospel witness as well. So God is desiring people to come into the obedience of faith from among all the nations. So there is nowhere that is out of bounds for the gospel. Uh, whenever we try and share the gospel with another person, we are bringing 
to Jesus what is rightfully his. It is never inappropriate to want a certain group of people to know about Jesus. We're never intruding, we're never putting Jesus where he doesn't rightfully belong. And it is why as, as Christians we, we simply can't keep our faith private. There's often the call, isn't there, for, for many people today to say, well, it's okay for you to believe what you believe, but you can't bring it into the public square because the public square is, is for kind of, it's not for faith, people. It's, you know, you've got to keep that to yourselves. But the public square belongs to Jesus. Uh, Jesus has been declared the son of God in power through his resurrection from the dead. And there is nowhere that the gospel of Jesus does not belong. Now we need to be sensitive, we need to be tactful, we need to be appropriate. But ultimately, the scope of the gospel is universal. And the reason for all of this, Paul says, the ultimate concern behind everything, he says in verse 5, is the sake of Jesus' name. Um, Paul is not ultimately wanting to share the gospel for the sake of those who will hear it, but for the sake of Jesus. It's not that people have a right to hear the gospel, it's that Jesus has the right to be known. He deserves to be followed and worshipped and obeyed and prayed to and glorified. Um, the wonderful English preacher John Stott once wrote that we should be troubled when the gospel remains unknown, hurt when it is ignored, indignant when it is blasphemed, and all the time anxious and determined that it shall be given the honour and glory which are due to it. And that is why Paul thinks of himself the way he does. Paul describes himself as a servant, literally a slave of Jesus Christ. Because Paul's greatest obligation now is the name of Jesus. And Paul will happily yield everything about who he is to that ultimate concern of the name of Jesus Christ. And that is true for us as well. It will be in the service of that name that we will find ultimate joy. Uh, if we make our lives about serving our own name, our own agenda, our own wants, our own needs we will not find true joy. Whereas if we, if we prioritise the name of Jesus, we will be going right with the grain of what God is doing and how he's designed us to be. So that is gospel understanding. The source of the gospel is God. The subject of the gospel is Jesus. The scope of the gospel is universal. And behind all of this is our dedication to the name of Jesus. So Paul gives us that gospel understanding. That's just the, you know, this is just the part of the letter where Paul is saying hello. All of that spills out of him just by introducing himself. It's so wonderful. Well, Paul moves on quickly as he begins to sort of the main body of the letter to move from that gospel understanding to gospel strength. So Paul unpacks these things about the gospel. He says in verse 7, to all those in, in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Okay, if you're a Christian, you are loved by God and you are called to be a saint. You've been set apart for God. And Paul then opens, as he conventionally does, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian friends, we stand in grace and peace. Always. This is who God is to us. This is God's disposition to us 
in Jesus Christ is one of grace and peace. But as Paul moves in, he be, we begin to get something of Paul's specific agenda for this group of people. We've been learning a lot about Paul and what drives him and the gospel that shapes him. We begin to see something now about the particulars of the people that is Paul is writing to. So notice in verse 8, he again, normal convention for Paul, he, he tells people that he thanks God for them, isn't it? Paul's instinct, even with Christians he's never met, is to thank God for them and to pray for them. So he says in verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Isn't that amazing? Paul is saying, I've not met any of you, but we all know about you. We all know that you trust in Jesus Christ. Your faith is being proclaimed. People are talking about the fact that there are Christians now in Rome who are trusting in Jesus. And that makes Paul thank God for all of them. What a wonderful perspective. So I thank my God for you. But then in verse 9, he, he begins to show them that he prays for them. And he suddenly gets very solemn. Verse 9, for God is my witness. Okay, that's something you would normally say in a very sort of, you know, serious, solemn occasion. You know, God is my witness that this is going on. Paul is saying this about his prayers for the Christians in Rome. That must mean something significant is going on with his prayers for the Christians in Rome. So verse 9, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Paul really wants them to know how much he prays for them. So he says, God is my witness that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Why is Paul so deeply concerned for them to know that? He shows us. He wants them to know that his prayers are, are unceasing because he wants them to know what he is unceasingly praying for. God is my witness that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. This is really significant. Paul wants them to know that there is a particular prayer he has for them that he is praying all the time, always, unceasingly. You can ask God. God is Paul's witness. And the thing he is praying in verse 10 is that somehow he will at last succeed in coming to Rome. Paul has been praying ceaselessly night and day, ongoingly, that he will be able to get to Rome. Somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed. He's, he's evidently been trying for so long, and he's desperate to get there. So, Paul has been desperately trying to get to Rome, and he really needs the Roman Christians to know that. Again, he tells us why. Next verse, verse 11. 
for I long to see you. Okay, this is why Paul is desperate to get to Rome, because not because he you know wants to see the sights and you know get some nice pictures and that kind of stuff. I long to see you. That's why I'm so desperate to get to Rome. That is why I'm praying all the time that somehow God will open up a way for me to get to Rome. I long to see you. Why? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Paul is so desperate to get to Rome to see these believers because they need to be strengthened. He has something he can share that will strengthen them. There is a, a spiritual weakness to them. Now, this is, this is amazing because Paul can say, you know, your faith is legit. In fact, we all know about your faith. We praise God because of your faith. It is authentic. It is real. But at the moment, it really needs to be strengthened. You are real, legitimate, honest-to-goodness believers but you're weak. I'm desperate to get to you to strengthen you. And then he adds verse 12. And this, again, is just such a wonderful insight. Paul says, that is by that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Even relatively young and weak believers are still an encouragement to Paul. Paul is not the kind of apostle who's been, in a, you know, been a Christian for so long and has grown so much and knows so many things that he has nothing to learn from younger believers. Paul anticipates them encouraging him, even as he is seeking to strengthen them. Isn't that amazing? Even an apostle can still be encouraged by other believers. Uh, side note, time of pandemic. I don't know if you guys are, are meeting in person yet. Um, in the UK, in the US where I, the bits that I know, there are still lots of, lots of restrictions. But if even Paul is encouraged by meeting actually fairly weak believers, how much more do we need the encouragement of meeting up with believers as well? So I hope in as much as you are able and allowing for your own kind of health situation as well. I hope you are making every effort to, to gather together to be mutually encouraged. So verse 13, so, so Paul is desperate to get to Rome. He's praying all the time to get to Rome because he wants to see them because he really needs to strengthen them. And so he says, verse 13, and here we begin to see what's actually going on. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you but have thus far been prevented. So I have been trying to come. Paul says, listen, I've, I've, I've made a ton of attempts. There are times I've, I've even bought tickets. I've put down deposits. I've had the plane tickets in my hand, but thus far have been prevented. You know, there's been some issue with the airlines. There's been a strike. There's been a pandemic. There's been an eruption somewhere. I've tried tons of times to come. But something has always prevented me. And I want you to know that. Why does Paul want him, them to know that? Why do they need to know that Paul has tried to come? How might they be misinterpreting Paul's absence? Well, end of verse 13. I've often intended to come to you in order that 
I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So here's what's going on. They seem to have interpreted Paul's absence as thinking that it must mean Paul is nervous of coming to Rome because it's going to be a tough place to share the gospel. So the Christians in Rome seem to be thinking, well, Paul's kind of gospel shtick, you know, that works out there in the provinces, that works out there in the far-flung regions of the empire, but this is Rome. And this is a different place. It's a different deal here, and, you know, we've never seen Paul in Rome. So, you know, maybe Paul is thinking that, you know, this, this is just a different kind of place to be. Now, we scholars estimate that there probably weren't more than 100 Christians in Rome at this time. Rome itself probably would have been a city of a million people. It would be very easy in Rome to feel ashamed of the gospel because it's Rome. This is the centre of global civilization. This is also the, the cultural centre. Rome set the tone for the whole empire. Rome was proud particularly of, of the Greek elements of its culture. Um, of its learning, of its sophistication, they sneered at things like Christianity. And so again, the, the Roman Christians might be thinking, well, you know, does the gospel, does Paul's gospel really work here in Rome? The Roman Christians, I'm sure, were feeling deeply intimidated by their cultural context. Easy for them to feel ashamed of the gospel. It just is not going to have any cultural traction with these kinds of people. And it seems to me we can feel the same way again in our own culture. We can feel intimidated, nervous and ashamed. And we look at some of the cultural forces and think, yeah, the, the gospel is never, it's just never going to have any traction with these kinds of people. It's easy for us to look around even at our LGBTQ plus friends and think, you know, I, I could see some people potentially becoming Christians, but what does, the, what does the gospel offer these guys? They're never going to be interested. And we look at some of the, the cultural forces, the opinion makers, the cultural leaders, the stand-up comics, and we kind of think those who set the tone in our culture... And again, it can make us feel a bit, a bit embarrassed, like we're out of our league. And so Paul is saying, guys, <laughs> I've been trying to come to Rome. The fact that I've not been there isn't because I'm terrified of sharing the gospel in Rome. It's not because I'm thinking the gospel's not going to work there. Paul is saying, I want you to know I've often intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as the rest of the Gentiles. In other words, you guys are not that special. Rome may feel very different. It may feel different to the rest of the world. It may feel like it's in a different category of spiritual need. But Paul is saying, I'm, I'm expecting the same kind of harvest in Rome as I see anywhere else. All the other nations I've been to and, and seen people respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm expecting the same thing in Rome. People are people. 
And yes, they, they may be kind of walking around with a certain air of superiority and, and sophistication and that kind of thing in Rome. But <laughs> there's going to be the same harvest. And so that's why I've been desperate to come. I'm not nervous of sharing the gospel in Rome. I'm desperate to share the gospel in Rome. And you guys need to be strengthened. The reason you think I'm not coming is why you yourselves are so weak. You think that this culture is too hard for the gospel. So you need gospel strength. So I'm coming to strengthen you and to get a harvest among the people that you find yourselves among. Which leads to our third um, point, which is, is gospel confidence. Now, we're used to the I am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John. There are seven of them. I am the, the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth and the life, all those sorts of things. Paul gives us three I am statements that express his gospel confidence. And there's no reason we can't echo those three same statements ourselves. So Paul has already given them his kind of gospel understanding in the first few verses. He's, he's shown them their need for gospel strength. And all of it comes from Paul's own gospel confidence. So he begins in verse 14. First, I am. I am under obligation. Paul has a sense of indebtedness. Some translations even, even put it that way. He says both to Greeks and barbarians. They, that distinction would mean a lot in Rome because they would think we're the kind of sophisticated Greek types. Everyone outside the city are the barbarians. Both to the wise and to the foolish. Again, Romans would have seen themselves as being the wise people. They're the enlightened ones. They're the sophisticated ones. Everyone else out there are just, you know, fools. And Paul is saying, I am under the same obligation to each group of people. Paul says, I'm, I'm bound. I have, I have a debt to discharge. Now, there are two ways you can, you can be in debt to someone. Um, they lend you something and you then owe them the repayment. That's one way. Another way you can be in debt to someone is if someone else gives you something to pass on to them. Until you pass that thing on to them, actually, you have a debt to them. You owe them that thing. And that's the kind of indebtedness and obligation Paul is talking about here. He's been given something for the people in Rome. And until Paul gets to the people in Rome, he's feeling a deep sense of indebtedness. He's, he's feeling bound. Um, his commission has been to call all the nations to Jesus Christ. And here we have this massive gap of, of the city of Rome. And Paul is thinking, I, my, my commission extends to them. I owe them the gospel of Jesus. They too are part of his portfolio. So the very type of people Roman Christians would have been most intimidated by, the, the Greeks and the wise, Paul is saying, no, 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 they need to hear the gospel. The gospel is for them too. And it's the same for us. We don't have the same commission as Paul. Um, I've not been given a direct commission by Jesus Christ to preach to every nation under the earth. 
Uh, but we have been given a commission. We've been given the Great Commission. All of us are committed now to making disciples of all nations. Uh, we have a, a, an obligation to, to see the gospel reach people of, of all kinds of national backgrounds, all kinds of religious backgrounds, and, yes, all kinds of, of sexual backgrounds as well. The gospel is for everyone. We must never think there's a group of people that the gospel isn't really for. So Paul says, I am under obligation, and so are we. Paul says, I am eager. Verse 15, he says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul has a sense of obligation, but he's not kind of worried about it. It's not just his duty. It's not just, oh man, I've got to preach the gospel in Rome. I have to do this. I'd rather not. It's going to be a nightmare. Paul is saying, I'm eager for this. I'm, I'm, I'm straining to get there. Paul has that kind of gospel, even uh, that kind of confidence in the gospel, even before the most intimidating people in the world, the people who look as though they least need the gospel, the people who look like they will never ever be impressed by the gospel, the people who seem to have so much ability. Paul is thinking, man, I can't wait for them to hear the gospel. Paul's been trying to set this up for ages. He's been trying to arrange this trip. He cannot wait to unleash the gospel in Rome. He is not intimidated. He's not looking at people the way the Roman Christians do. Paul is not looking at people the way we do. We look at them according to human strength and think, how close or near do they look like they might be to receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul is not looking like that. And so the people we are most put off by, Paul is saying, I'm eager because, third I am, I'm not ashamed. We are less eager to share the gospel with certain groups of people because around those groups of people, we're ashamed of the gospel. It's going to be embarrassing. We're going to look like idiots. They're just going to sneer at us. They're going to have no need for it. Now, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This is what God does. This is where God shows his strength and his power. The power is not in us. It's not in our prowess. It's not in our eloquence. It's not in our force of personality. It's not in our social confidence. It's not in our cultural sophistication. It is the power of God to save people. And God saves people through the message of Jesus Christ. And so if we are sharing the message of Jesus Christ... At any point, the power of God can be unleashed. And we see that. We saw that with Paul himself. You could not have found someone who seemed more antagonistic to the message of Jesus Christ than the Apostle Paul, as he was then Saul. And I'm sure he was the last person on earth any Christian would want to evangelise. This is the guy who looks least likely to ever become a Christian. And yet the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And therefore, there is no human power that is big enough to overcome the power of God. There is no kind of human person that God is intimidated by. 
There is no one who is just too tough for God to crack. Now, not everyone becomes Christians and there's there's mystery to that. But people who don't become Christians, they don't become Christians not because God was too weak. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Notice what Paul says next, to the Jew first and also, yes, to the Greek. Not even just the Gentile at large, but to the Greek in particular. There are Greek people there in Rome, currently sophisticated, spiritually oblivious, self-confident, who will be brought to salvation through the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul can't wait to see that happen. Some of the voices in our culture, maybe in our families, in our workplaces, in our own contexts, some of the voices that are presently so antagonistic to Christianity. And oftentimes those voices are antagonistic within the context of sexual ethics and gender identity. Some of the voices that are most antagonistic right now, well, in the next generation, they may be some of the most influential Christians God uses. The person yelling at you now, the person calling you names like bigot right now, one of these guys might be the next pastor of your church. Have you got what it takes to see them saved? Of course you don't. But then it's not our power that we look to. It is the power of God. And if it's the power of God, we can have confidence. If it's to do with the power of me, if I've got to be impressive enough or clever enough or likable enough or funny enough, I'm not going to have confidence. But if the gospel is the power of God, well, there's nothing the power of God cannot do. So whoever we feel most intimidated by, let's share the gospel. We are under obligation. Paul says, I'm under obligation. I'm eager. I'm not ashamed. Let's join him. Amen. Thank you.